particularly, and I mean, I've worked in a few academies. After the Sunday, you'd speak to somebody, what was the score? It's like, well, I'll tell you the score, but I'd rather tell you about these three players and these three players that three that have done really well three that maybe struggled today and then we've got a few in the middle that have done all right as well so actually maybe maybe the culture is about well what was the score what was the score so we're actually saying well the score doesn't exist it doesn't matter but our behaviors don't don't match what we're saying because we're asking about the score a lot and really i'd rather people ask me about well, who did well today Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Hello again and welcome back. It's been a while. I hope you've had a good start to your season wherever you're coaching. We have loads going on at the County FA around CPD events and courses, which you can find more about at liverpoolfa.com. And there's some big news if you are a coach in an affiliated club and you don't yet have your level one. uh, Look out and keep in touch with your club secretary because we've got some big news coming up soon. This episode was recorded last Christmas as I'm still working my way through the back catalogue of recordings from last season. Today's guest is a good friend and former colleague of mine, Matt Craddock. Matt used to work in our grassroots coach development team in the Northwest and is now head of coaching at a championship club academy. Matt is one of the most committed and passionate coaches I know and we talk about all things player and coach development. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Matt Craddock. Matt, welcome back to Liverpool. Good to have you down here. Morning. Yeah, great to see you again. And it's it's been a while. And uh, just before we hit record, you were telling me a story about Christmas lists. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that might be a good place for us to start. Do you want to do you want to tell us the the problems that you've been having? Yeah. Well, we had a lovely afternoon uh, in Brockles, just off the M61, where we did a Santa hunt. When we wrote a letter to Santa. I uh, went to find a stamp and then put it in the post box. So I was looking at my daughter, she's seven, and she'd written a lovely letter to Santa, how well she's done. And then the dreaded list started, and it was the most frightening list I think I've ever seen. So it was a, a bit of a, a chat around. I'm not sure how big Santa's sleigh is, so you might need to uh, just manage your expectations really about what, what it is that you are going to get when it comes Christmas Day. But yeah, it was funny. It was a good day out, but it was a a bit of a lesson I think and then managing expectations is a nice link into to where we're going to go with this because last night we put out on Twitter asking for some questions that coaches out there would like to ask of you and we have had a mountain I've seen. I've seen. <laughs> so it's actually taken us probably an hour to try and map this conversation out and I think it's just uh, about managing the expectations of all those questions that other people that wrote all those questions in so we will try and get through them all I think it's given us a great starting point and a a roadmap for this discussion Uh, Matt if you want to tell us a bit about your current role and maybe your pathway and your journey and how you got into that yeah so my my current role is head of coaching and a head of academy coaching Um, I guess my sort of career started I went to university I didn't know really what to do at 17 18 so I went to university 
found himself a sports science and physiology degree, came out of uni and couldn't get a coaching job. Um, and I went into a year working in pensions, which was boring to say the least. And then I was just doing about four or five part-time coaching roles just to try and get myself some experience, get myself foot in the door. Um, I started working with a local authority in Blackpool, um, working in schools, community sessions. Um, and then that sort of progressed really. I had quite a forward thinking line manager who wanted to have a pathway really for coaches because she was spotting that good coaches were coming in and then having to move on because there was no progression and basically my role kept progressing and progressing and I got so much experience it ended up with me being um, sort of a support network for, for PE teachers in schools and that was primary schools secondary schools and colleges as well so it was a fantastic experience and I, I got to learn loads and loads and loads and then from there um, I got myself a role with the FA working with 12 to 16s which is obviously where we met and then that role changed into a coach developer. I almost said educator, but coach developer role where I did um, a lot of coach development in the Northwest, mainly around sort of Manchester area. And then um, had an opportunity really to, to come and join a, the, into the professional game as, as head of coaching and, and lead youth development phase. It was a joint role. Um, and I was probably missing working with players. So it was a real good opportunity for me to get my hands dirty because some of the anecdotes I was using as a tutor were, were getting a bit outdated and, and I wanted to try and put my learnings into practice. So it was a really good role. I had a year doing the joint role and then we sort of have uh, improved the academy again and got another member of staff in. So my role now is just head of coaching um, and I sort of look after the coaching curriculum, coach development, uh, working with players, working with coaches. And basically it's around trying to improve standards and, and ensure that the academy is, is doing what, what it's supposed to be doing, which is creating players that can go on and play first in football. So are you are you working with a group now or solely just with the coaches? Yeah, my week it's it's varied really, which is which is great for me because I love that variety. But um, I do a lot of work with the under 18s. I do a lot of work with the 15s and 16s, and then um, I do sort of various dipping in and dipping out of all the other age groups really. So because of my role last year, I have a, a good indication of all the players really, and I know most of the players or all of the players really in the academy. So I get to work with all of them, but majority is sort of 15 to 18 and then the rest of my role is working with the coaching staff just winding back a little bit you said about earlier on when you were just starting to get into coaching you had four or five part-time coaching roles yeah. what what were they can you describe a little bit more about them yeah so I worked I worked in an academy that was local to, to my sort of job in, in Blackpool um, which gave me a real experience of, of working with you know good players and, and, and in a quite a competitive environment. Um, I also worked part-time at a local authority. I worked part-time for a private company and I was just doing as many coaching hours as I, as I possibly could. So I'd, I'd go from you know one evening where I'd be doing a coaching session on a park with four people that just turned up randomly to then working with a private company where I had 20 kids that, that turn up every week to then going and working in a school and then into an academy in the evening. So it was a, a real variety. But I think, I think what it did give me, it gave me a real good understanding of coaching gave me a, uh, an ability to manage numbers and, fl and be flexible in coaching because you can't always have 8v8 and, and this pitch. Sometimes you are on a tiny bit of a park and you've got three kids that rock up. Um, and it gave me a good sort of a value really of, of, of what I've got now particularly. I mean, I'm in such a, a healthy, good environment at the moment. It, I appreciate it more because I've done those 
those shifts that were difficult to say the least yeah there's a lot of people out there listening and nodding their heads in agreement yeah, and, I'm sure yeah. and empathy and understanding about those uh, those challenges of numbers and space but yeah. like you say really important experiences and, and that those varied experiences I think can really help to to shape the coach that you then might go on to become yeah massively so I mean I think the minute I got, I mean, I started working in an academy and I just got, I got made redundant from the, from the council. So I was working at the academy and I just kept turning up. I just kept turning up and asking if there was anything I could do. And you, when you ask, you actually get opportunities, which was unbelievable, really. And sometimes I'd be working with, you know, the development squad of this particular academy and I'd be given eight players and then 10 minutes later, it'd be six players and then by the time I got out there, I had three players and one of them was a goalkeeper. And, you know, I think if I hadn't have had that grounding of having to deal with different numbers and different environments and different situations, it could have probably tipped you over the edge. I mean, it was, it was fairly stressful, but it was manageable because I think I've had that, that experience of having to deal with different things and changes and flexibility. And just out of curiosity, so when you work with your squad of players now, for example, the 18s or the 16s, yeah. how much... How prepared are you for a session? So, for example, do you, do you know exactly how many numbers are coming? Mm. How much change or fluctuation do you have to deal with? Um, there still, there still is because there's you know there's various things that can happen. You know, you could pick up injuries, you can have illnesses. The first team staff might might want some players, so so there is that flexibility. But but we have I mean we have a meeting prior to going out to training, so we know exactly who's going to be training. We know what we're doing, who's doing what and when, what are the outcomes. And we can individualise our session a little bit more. So we still have to be sort of flexible because it can change. But but we do have a lot of, t- of time really to sort of really put some planning into into what the session looks like and who it is that, that we're working with and how can we help them. What what are the success measures for, for you and your academy within the wider remit of the club? Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess it is, it's measured on how many people, we, how many players we can get into the first team, I guess, is the, the overarching aim and that's what we reach for. Um, but really, we, we want to we make sure that we, we, we can provide players with the opportunities to, to get a career in the game, whether that's at our club or at other clubs or as a coach or as whatever it is. We want to make sure that we, we give them that opportunity to, to get a career in, in, in the game, really. And that's, that's, what our, that's what we go into work for every day. But, but obviously for the, for the club, it's about how many players can we get into that first team. That, that's, you know, any club would be, would be the same measurement tool, really. So you've been, you've been in this role two years now? Yeah, coming up to two years, yeah. yeah. So what have been some of the success stories that you've been most proud about? Hmm, good question. Um, I think there's probably, uh, I mean, there's, there's loads, uh, a couple of, of good ones is, you know, a player's gone into the first team and, and he's absolutely flown at the moment. That's, that's really positive because, you know, it's, it's a massive step to step from under 18 football into the championship because, I mean, some of the teams in their championship are unbelievable. So the fact that he actually has done so, you know, is, is a massive achievement for the club. Not particularly for me, you know, as like I said, I've only been there sort of two years, but the amount of the players that have, and staff that have worked with him over, over that period. Um, so that's that's really positive. And we've actually got quite a, quite a lot of graduates in and around the squad at the moment, which is which is good. But then at the other scale, you know, we've had some some coaches that have moved from a part-time role into a full-time role within the club that have progressed from being a volunteer to being a part-time member of staff and some that have been a part-time member of staff and gone on to a full-time role somewhere else. So I think success is, there's, there's various different ways that we can measure success, but we've had quite a few in the last probably two years. Yeah, I suppose, and for you in your role, that the success 
can be measured not only just by the development of the players but the development of coaches. the coaches yeah 100% yeah, yeah. 100% okay um, E Triple P yeah I'm curious so t- tell us uh, some of your experiences and obviously you, you, you came into it not long after yeah. I suppose halfway down the line so mm. what has been your role within the remit of the E Triple P if you can just explain the process that you've gone through in your own club yeah well, I guess I mean everyone has a different view of the EPPP for me it's about intentions really I think the EPPP the intention is really positive because it's about raising standards so the EPPP is basically a guide that you have to work to um, criteria that you need to meet and you know from from my point of view it's about making sure that all our coaches have the requirements to be working in an academy and then the skills to be able to enhance what they do in the academy so you know we have to make sure that they're all CRB checked which is you know obvious but then they have to have UA for B they have to have the youth award they have to have regular CPD so there's certain you know a real easy tick list that you need to go through to make sure that, that they have that the wider academy there's, there's various different criteria that you have to meet so there's there's many different sections one might be about education one might be about the players one might be about the club and basically they provide you like a criteria that you need to, to work to to make sure that We've got the processes in place to be able to provide a good quality of service to the players that we're working with because they're kids at the end of the day. So it's very similar to like an Ofsted process where Ofsted go in to make sure the school is working to a good standard so that they're providing for the kids. EPPP is the same it's the same principle really. And for that, you can't really be negative about it because it's trying to improve standards. So tell us a bit more about the, the, the detail that sits within the, the you mentioned the, ed, the education process yeah. there. So what, what yeah. would fall underneath that? Um, <clears throat> so obviously the under 18s are full time. So seven, they come in at sort of 16, 17, 18 years. So they still have to take part in education. So they, they train with us full time, but they also do education around it. This year we've, we've done a little bit of a, a flexible approach to education. So actually they have bits of education every day. So it's not just one day where they have education all day. And if they miss it, they miss all their week's education. We're quite flexible. Actually, we do it on site now. So that's quite, that's a real positive step because it's allowed the programme to be bespoke to the kids, which is, you know, we've been talking about individualising programmes and, you know, no better way of individual education for, for for the kids that we've got in. So that's the under 18s. And then the 15s and 16s, we run a hybrid programme where we, we, they come out of school for half a day on a Friday where they come into the academy, we train during the afternoon and then they pick up the education session later in the day. So we have qualified teachers in that, that come in and support them through this catch-up period. Um, and then for the 9s to 14s, it's just about regular links with, with the school. You know, we've, we've talked about many times and particularly in our last role around in coach development how important the, the relationship between the, the club and the parent is. We've actually got the school in board on board as well. So, so the EPPP around education is, is just about making sure that we're considering everything that the kid is, is going through, not just football. It has to be about education, and, and you know it varies on on levels of of requirements. The older they get, and um, there's more requirements in place. But but it's just about making sure that we've thought about it and we've planned it. You know, how does education look like for these players? How are we supporting them with their education? Are we have we considered it, and are we are we helping them? So, how many different schools are you are you dealing with then in your own? Oh, area? a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot. So, I guess this the PDP, the 18s, they're on one site. PDP, under 18s, professional development phase. Yeah. So they're on one site with one education provider. Really quite simple. Nines to 16s, 
they come from all over the northwest, anywhere within an hour of, of where we are. That could be a hundred schools, a lot, a lot of different yeah. schools. So you know, depending on on what what phase they're in, depends on how strong that link is with each school. The older they get, the stronger the link is because they're coming towards GCSEs. So we try and meet with them, you know, throughout the year. We speak to them regularly. We ask how they're going, getting on, um, making sure that they're still progressing and trying hard in school. And then the sort of the younger they are, it's almost just touching base with them every now and then to say, listen, this is what your pupil's been doing at the academy. How's he getting on in school? Is there anything we can help with? So we have a we have a head of education that sort of looks after that area, and it's and we have intervention strategies. So if anything drops off at school, you know there's a strategy that comes into place, and there's processes in place that we can go and support the school to help support the kid. Um, how do, how does that look then? So you've got let's say school comes to you and yeah. they've got problems with um, with one of their pupils who's at your academy who's mm-hmm. underperforming or perhaps. Um, misbehaving in school what you know how do you pick it up from there yeah well it, it goes off what the school want really um there's, there's been plenty of occasions where we've gone into school so if they've organized a meeting between maybe the parents and the head of year we go in on that meeting and basically it's just about kid, kids just just need they need things relating to to their world and if their world is football it's really handy for us to be there from the football world to say listen if this was in a football match or, or a training session, how would you behave? How would you, how would you want your teammates to behave? What standards do you have? And it's about relating what they do in school to what they do with us in the academy, And I think. So really our role is just to go in there and, and just sort of shine a light on what they're doing, how it differs maybe to how they are in the academy, and trying to join the, the dots really for them so that they can pick up where they left off. And I guess that's that's what we that's what our job is really. We probably I think we've been into school maybe twice last year, twice this year. Um, but but generally, we, I mean, we've got good kids. Kids are good, aren't they? Generally, anyway. Um, but we've, we've got good kids. But I think it's what helps. What helps us keep that number down is the proactive work that are, that, that we do before. Then I think if we didn't do any work up to up to that point, that might be, you know, you might have to be reacting. To, to problems that are coming rather than actually just saying listen we have a really good link with your school we speak to your teacher on a weekly basis so we know exactly what's going on it's that proactive work that makes them think oh even if they were thinking about messing around i'm probably not going to because i know that i'll get back to the academy and you know i better i better try hard so it's, it's there's a lot of proactive work that goes in that that means that there's less interventions having to to happen yeah i can imagine that you the, the response that you might get back from from the boys there might be a positive one of you know feeling cared for that yeah. they're actually valued yeah definitely and 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 that's that's the truth you know we we're not good coaches if we don't care about the kids that we're working with end of story you know we have to care about about the kids first and they have to understand that we care about them and and yeah the education part and and that sort of strategy is just, like you said, it's just reinforcing the fact that we do care about them and we want them to do well. And the reality, talking back to managing expectations, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the reality of people that are going to become a professional is really, is really low. It's really, really small. Really, really slim chance of you becoming that professional. So you have to, you have to work hard in education so that if or when you leave the club, you're in a good position to go and do something else. And be really positive and, and step forward in the right direction, yeah. rather than just leaving it all to 
to put all of your eggs into one basket and dreaming about becoming a footballer, which there's nothing wrong with dreaming, by the way, but but you have to make sure that you, you've got a backup plan and, and you're actually developing holistically, not just in one direction. How important is it to manage that expectation uh, with those, you know, the, the hit rate, we know about the numbers. So mm. how, do you, how do you get that message across? Well, yeah, I, th- I think people think it's, it's a negative thing to, to tell kids and their parents that not many people become professionals, but that's the reality of it. And I think we need to make sure that everyone has enough information to make informed decisions. So I think it's really important for us to say, when we educate our kids and our parents, you know, throughout a number of CPD events throughout the season, it's mentioned in our induction at the start of every season where all the parents come in and we talk about, you know, what, what we're going to be doing this season. And that's part of, of that workshop is around showing them that very few people become professional footballers, very few. So really, you need to make sure that your child is working hard in school and has other interests. And that's, that's really important. You know, and that's, so it's, it's about education. It's about educating the, the parent. It's about educating the child as well, just to make them, make them aware, really, of, of the importance of school and, and other interests. And I'm guessing that's not just a one-off at the start of the season, that from working with plenty of football parents myself, it's that continuous message. Strip feeding, yeah. yeah. All the time, it's it's, re- it's reminding, it's reinforcing, yeah, all the time, and 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 it's not as in I'm reminding them all the time that listen, not many people become professionals. It's not about knocking them down. It's just reminding them that that school's important. You know, when they turn up to training, how was school today? How are you getting on? You know, are you still? How's your teacher there? How's this going on? It's just about reinforcing those other things. So it's not all about football, 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 football. They're still kids. You know, they're still kids and you need to touch base with other things. So it's it's doing it subtly. It's not, you know, it's not me walking around with a percentage sign to, to, to remind them. It's, it's just about saying, how was school today? How are you getting on? How, you know, are you all ready for your exam next week? How was your mocks this week? That sort of stuff. Those first interactions when the players turn up can often tell yeah. the players exactly what you value about them, can't yeah, they? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And if it is only football, that's, it's a really limited... You know, it's a really limited experience. Whereas if you find stuff out about the kid, you know, how how is how are you getting on at swimming? There's 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 a kid in our place who's a he's a fighter. So he's, he he does like can't remember the the code, but it's like MMA. It's it's brutal. It's nothing I'd be getting into. But but uh, yeah, I mean, I would never argue with this kid either. To be fair, but but it's recognizing that all the kids he, he's just one kid that has something that's going on outside of, of football all the kids have something and it's about finding out what it is so that when they do turn up you can go i saw that the other day i saw that on on twitter or i saw that video of you doing that or how was that today how's this you know and it, it, it it's just about knowing i mean it's it's the same old thing knowing it's about knowing who you were with knowing your players yeah and, and the return people. on investment from that i imagine is is quite significant. Yeah, massive. And we have, you know, the kids have good relationship with the coaches. Yeah. And if you have good relationships, you can get more done. Yeah, so those, I mean, that, that gives us a real good idea about how you work with the, the local schools. What about the grassroots clubs out there? How do you link in with them? What's the sort of relationship like? How, do, yeah. how does it work? Yeah, again, it's important. I mean, we've got a head of recruitment that's really proactive out, out in, in clubs. You know, we have partner clubs in, in grassroots. We, we give kit, we give stuff out we invite in so we, we did a grassroots conference I think last year where we were invited all the coaches in to see what we do at the academy and give them a bit of a presentation about some ideas and what they might want to do and how we do things here we're planning on doing another one sort of next season up uh, next year as well 2018 so there's various different ways of of interacting but but it's vital it's it's vital because that's where the that's where the kids are playing that's where the kids are getting coached and eventually you know 
we're either going to you know spot a, a player who wants to come into our academy or there might be a player leaving who who we need to find somewhere for them to go and that might you know if you have good relationships with people in clubs there's just a two-way two-way street that that, that works really well yeah and is, that's something that you're quite proactive about is it so if, if if the time comes when a player is going to be released then how do you try and find them that way back into yeah into so football? It, it's 100% it's about having relationships so that you can help them if if they want to be helped you can help them find that next step that's our job I mean it's that's the that's probably the horrible part of the job is, is doing that because you, youth development's a, a long term thing and but at times during that long term journey you have to take a snapshot decision or a decision on, on a on a point in time and, and that's it's really difficult and because you're making a, a decision at a point in time over a long journey you, you're never 100% right you, you just have to try and make an informed decision but if, if if you do you know if it is leaving the club if the person is leaving the club we've got to make sure that firstly they've had a good experience while they've been with us and secondly we help them with that next bit if they want the help and without those relationships you can't really help them with that next bit so again it's about being proactive to be able to support them afterwards just winding back you talked about the shaping the wider curriculum and yeah uh the sort of longer term term plan for the development of the players and coaches within your club how how important is that that vision if you like of the the way that you want to the way that your club sees the game being played and how uh you know is there is there any sort of link with what's going on with the first team how, how does that work yeah, well, I mean, it was probably Ben Bartlett's episode of the podcast where he talked about aligning behaviours to your intended outcomes. So if you don't know where you want to go and what you want at the end, it's going to be very difficult for you to select the right behaviours and select the right processes to get there. So I guess you, your, your club vision and your club philosophy is almost about it's your end point, it's what you want at the end of it. And the end of it might be 21, 22, 23, but it's about what that player looks like at that age. And we've just got to work backwards from there to have a guideline to say, well, if I want this, I need to choose this behaviour. How does it link to the first team? Yeah, very, very well. We had a, a CPD event with the first team manager and the first team staff, and they were, they were really positive, you know, gave us some some advice on, you know, what, what they're looking for in players. And, you know, it, it's very similar to, to what we do in the academy. It aligns to our sort of philosophy and our values. You know, and um, they're ultra supportive, and they're, they're really supportive. And, and our 18s, you know, have a lot of opportunities to go and work with the first team, and, and that's that's a really positive, positive experience for them. But it has to be a club; it has to be a collective. About this is what we want from the club. This is what we want the, the club to to look like, and the players who play for this club to look like. And then you've got to work back from from there, really. Obviously, you're well aware of the England DNA, and yeah. And, the work that's that's gone on with that around the detail of how uh, how we want the England teams to play, what the players need to uh, be able to do to be able to play in that mm-hmm. system. How does that translate into your own club, if, if at all? And, and you know, what were some of the, the the messages that might run right away through the academy to yeah. the first team? Yeah, I mean, I think the England DNA is, is positive. It's a step forward because it's a sort of like a a point in the sand to say this is what we stand for this is what we are this is what we're trying to do so there's there's nothing negative in that I think that's a real positive thing to do and I think every club has has their own DNA every club does um, it, it, some aspects will be similar because we're we're all trying to create footballers and footballers are 
similar but different. So there'll be parts of of our philosophy that'll be the same as most clubs, and then there'll be parts that are really specific to ours. Um, and I think that's what the England DNA has, has done well is that you know they've actually decided no, this is what England players look like. This is what England players do. And this is how they do it. So I think that's that's a, a positive step, and, and and we're no different. You know, we we have our our club values that 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 runs throughout under nines, under eights, all the way up to first team. You know, and it's about it's almost like a. I mean, the the, the FA use that as a golden thread that connects everything, and, and it's it's the same principle. We don't use the same language, but it's the same principle about having these values. That this is what our club player looks like. This is how they behave. And this is what we expect from them. And this is what we expect from each other, you know. And so what might some of that language sound like? Yeah, so I'll, I'll pick one. So it's about work work rate. So our club, our players work hard. And that's that's something that's specific. To, I mean, all, all players should work hard, but that's something that we really value. So so all our players work hard. So if you, if you look at an under nine player, when we haven't got the ball, they should be working hard to try and win the ball back. If you're looking at an, eight, an 18 player, they should be working hard maybe with some intelligence and game management to win that ball back so that's that's how the thread you've got to realise it looks different from 18s to 12s to 9s it will look different but the fact that they're working hard that's that's something that will be ingrained you know throughout all of them and how do you how do you as coaches hold yourselves accountable to that to those values that I suppose then translates across to the players yeah well we've got to live them we've got to live them if, if we you know we value people that work hard and people that are good learners, we've we've got to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, you can't say we want people that work hard, and then us, you know, shirking off and don't don't fancy doing that bit, or I've not planned that session. It doesn't work. You, you've got to align, like I said before, align your behaviours to what, what you want to get out in the end. So if we want people that are working hard, we better be working hard on our planning. We better be working hard on how we individualise our session, and we better be working hard during the session and after the session. Yeah. You know, and it's the same with with any of the values that, that we choose. You know, honesty is is another one about being honest is difficult at times because it's not always positive, but we have to be honest. So that means when I'm working with a coach, I've got to be honest. So if there's something that isn't happening that should be happening, you know, I've got to be able to say that. Otherwise, I'm not I'm not living the, the values of the club. And I can imagine that. Knowing, knowing you and knowing the way that you work, I would imagine you'd want that honesty to be two-way. Oh, 100%, yes, 100%. So how do you encourage that honesty from the players back to the, to the coaches, if at all? Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's open dialogue, and I think that's, that's key. It's, it's communicating it's two ways. It's not just the coach doesn't know all the answers. The coach knows some bits, and the players know some bits, and it's about us working together to try and... Mm-hmm merge that information to help the player enhance what they know and how they can implement it so it has to be two-way so a lot of our work you'll see our coaches working on question and answer trying to actually get some information out of the the players asking them about this session what might this session look like why is it looking like this how how can we make it better and actually getting them to maybe come up with some of the ideas so you hopefully i mean you'll see from all our coaches that isn't just a it's not just one way this is what we're doing today this is how we're doing it do that do this it's more two-way involving them in the process what age do those behaviors start at with the, with the right at the start yeah right at the start so how would that look and feel with, a, with your youngest age group is under nine under nines how did how did that chaos <laughs> chaos gone well, absolute chaos so we have but but it's 
that's that's where learning is taking place, isn't it? They're learning. They're learning about things. So, for example, it might be how can we make the game more difficult or how can we make it harder for the defenders in this game? And they might come up with an idea that you think, wow, that's going to be a right mess. But if you don't go with it, you're not valuing the question in the first place. So you go with it and you see what happens. And if it's chaos, all right, okay, relax there. What did that look like, lads? And you try and have to go with it. So what does it look like when it's younger? It looks chaos. Yeah, it looks it looks messy. It looks disjointed at times. But that's what the game looks like at that age anyway. So you've got to, you've got to be aware of that and you've got to accept it. I picked up on something you said before about that end point and and working back from there. So what was some of the or what what was the end point that that you and your club have in mind for the players? And what's the process uh, that you that you work back from there mm-hmm. in order to, to generate the way okay. that you want to work with your coaches and your players? Well, I mean, the end point is the game, isn't it? That's, that's the end point, I guess, for, for everything that we're looking at. So it's, it's where do our first team play? What does that game look like? And what do the players need to have in to be able to thrive in that environment? So if you, if you take, for example, I mean links into the DNA but game management about game understanding so if we want people that understand the game and can make good decisions then they need to be able to have plenty of opportunities to make decisions good or bad they need to be able to manage the game themselves and sometimes that might mean they're losing because they made the wrong decision so it, it links back so if we want good decision makers we need to be patient throughout we need to make sure that our practices are random so they get loads of decisions to make during their practice we need to have coaching interventions that allows them to do the talking and try and work out the right answer and then we need to be able to support them when when it doesn't work right for them so that we can talk about well what decision did you make what happened how might you do it next time so that's and that's a real simple example really to go from you know what does the game the game for us you know you're playing in front of 15,000 people you know you're not going to hear the first team manager if you're left back and you're on the other side of the pitch so he has to be able to understand what the game looks like and he has to be able to make decisions that that are right there and then in that get in that moment and if he can't make decisions he's going to really struggle when he's on the opposite side of the pitch so if we have to be good at making decisions we need to make sure that we're giving the players plenty of opportunities to make decisions and then supporting them with them their reflections on those decisions how many years would a coach stay with their squad within the club so and um, does does the coach follow that that group of players all the way through? No, I mean different clubs have different models. I have I've seen quite a few interesting ones where they work on a rotation. I mean, some of them work on a rotation like on a six week basis. So I've seen I've seen a real variety. Ours at the moment we work on on a season basis, and then we 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 re we reevaluate the the coaches and the the ages that they're working with and, and combinations of the coaches that are working together and, and we just try and make a, a, a decision that, that we think is for the best for the next season and um, that's how we currently work but you know like we say we're trying to improve every time so you know if, if evidence comes to light that there's a better way of doing it then we might be taking yeah. that on but that's how we work at the moment so how important is that common set of behaviors within the coaches right the way through the club then oh it's essential yeah. yeah it's essential and then is, do you have any sort of way that you systematically measure the coach behaviours that you can ha- kind of hold yourself account or develop or, or use that measurement to then uh, yeah measure yourself against yeah I mean that's it's a really interesting point I guess 
probably I'll probably step back a little bit and, and describe where the head of coaching role is, is going. So the head of coaching role was, was brought in obviously by the EPP in the Premier League about raising standards of coaching within every environment, but professionally in the professional game, sorry. And um they're, they're running so they provide some some funding for clubs to make sure that they can have a sole head of coaching which is why my role changed from being a joint role to a single role because of that introduction of funding and then as well as the funding they're actually running a course for all the head of coaching so that they can go and attend and it's about developing firstly the softer skills so you know mentoring language communication all that sort of stuff reflection um self-reflection planning all that sort of the softer sort of skills but then it's also about looking at different ways of of measuring quality of measuring uh, efficiency of programs how we put our programs together how the uh, coach competency framework works how um, appraisals work within within coaching so so there's that big piece of work that's, that's sort of going on nationally and we're like a part of a cog within that that big machine so where we're up to at the moment we have some things in place but but we're almost at the start of our head of coaching journey where you know, there's there's definitely progress to be made. I think in all clubs, really. Um, but but we do a lot of analysis of coaches. We do self reflections. We have a, a website called Huddle, where you know we're starting to film sessions and put them up on Huddle, so that the coaches can go on as well as the players. But the coaches can go on and analyse the their session. You know, what's the ball rolling look like? What interventions was he using? Am I just talking to one or two players, or am I talking to everybody? There's, there's loads of different different methods that we're, we're trying to use at the moment um, but I guess we're, we're just at the start of, of that journey so with regards to measuring um, the quality I, I think it's it's about trying to provide the resource for the coaches to to self-reflect and then it's my job to almost support and facilitate their self-reflection and, and align them to, to what the club want really the reason why I ask is I don't know if you're aware, but recently Works just started here in Liverpool on on four new parklife sites. Yeah, brilliant. Um, which I think are just going to really revolutionise what, yeah, what the local grassroots scene might look like here in Liverpool. So, and we've got some huge grassroots clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, the one just around the corner from where we are now has got over a hundred teams. Yeah. So. If you were, let's say you you were volunteering in a grassroots club and, yeah. and you were moving on to one of those sites next season and you've got a number of volunteer coaches within the club, you've also got the parents, the club to school link. What? How might you go about that process of bringing everything together to for a kind of, kind of common mm. common goal? What a great opportunity, first and foremost, I think it would be. Um, I think it's about educating people first and foremost because I think particularly football people know football and they think they understand football and a lot of people do but but there's a lot more to it than just the football stuff so I think it's about it's about educating everybody around the different assets of um, facets sorry of of football and developing young people so you know if, if I was to go about that I would get all the coaching staff together and I'd make sure that that we all have a input into how we want this club to look like what do we want it to be what do we stand for you know what are the things that we'll demand off each other and what what things are we flexible on and and not flexible on i think once you understand that as a collective you bring everyone else 
in into that process as well and it's about sharing the process of this is what this club stands for this is what we're going to do at this club and if you don't like that that's that's fine that's not a problem you know but, but that's how we're going to work it here and if you want to be here that's that's what we're going to do and if, if you don't like it you can go somewhere else if you do buy into it brilliant buy into it and we'll all we all buy into it together and I suppose that's the easy part of the process isn't it is setting it the first part is the easy yeah definitely yeah it's then living it yeah so what are some of the challenges that you've come across in in living and breathing what you've set out to do and how have you overcome them reality gets in the way at times you know it's 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 very easy I'm full time I'm in there all the time so it's easy for me to because I'm immersed in it and it's easy for me to sort of live by it and, and bring it to life when you're a part time member of staff and, and this will be very similar to the volunteers that are working at, at the club in the example you just gave me you've got a job you get you might get stuck at your job you might be stressful you might be late to your session you turn up you've got a bag of balls you've got a load of kids that are already ready for you and, and you know the realities and, and the listeners will know exactly the, you know what I'm talking about so I think I think it's about doing it consistently is difficult but but it needs reminding it needs reminding and I think my job and, and we have you know other full time members of staff obviously as well is about supporting the coaches so that they can live and breathe it and that's whether that's education whether that's helping with a setup whether it's helping them with the coaching whether it's you know putting their equipment out ready for them so that they're not you know having to go looking for equipment and then come out it might be something as little as that it might be something as big as co-coaching with them just to ensure that, that the message is the same so so there's, there's probably not a one size fits all it's again it comes back to people and about individualising your support but it, yeah it is I mean reality is it's is difficult 100% is difficult how do you balance that those outcomes the, um, around when, what I mean by that is so one of the questions that came in was around where do you sit in terms of results performance learning yeah. and I think one of the problems that I've found is that it's we've got this kind of polarized question mm-hmm. development or winning and I think we've yeah. got to start moving up, yeah moving away from that you know um, which camp do you sit in where do you plant your flag mm-hmm. so what you know where um, do you, the question is where do you plant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah where do you plant the, you know where do you where, yeah, where, yeah where, where do you sit in the whole results performance learning yeah I think I mean, we have a games program. So every every Sunday, all the academy, 9 to 16, is playing a games program. And then we organise additional stuff on top of that. So sometimes we might have midweek games, Saturday games, tournaments, competitions, festivals, futsal, a host of different things. The way we've sort of looked at it, and this is what we've sort of provided to, to our parents at the start when we talked about how we were going to set up for the for the season. The additional stuff is, is where we go and we really try and win. We try and win because... We want to give them experience of how to win, because otherwise, where does that come in? Mm-hmm. If they don't, if it's always about, oh well, we, we played well and that was okay. When, how do they develop that resilience, that grit, that determination to go and win? That understanding that we need to keep the ball in the corner to, to you know, waste some time, or we need to pop the ball about to keep possession to waste time. Where do they learn that? So without going somewhere to win, I think we're not actually helping our kids out. But uh, for the majority of our games programme, we're not really bothered about the result. We're bothered about the individual performances within the result. So it's, it's not about winning. 
they must want to win because that's really important because that's what professionals do. They, they have to win every weekend and they want to win every weekend and they want to win everything. But it's just an extension of training for us. The Sunday games is an extension of training. It, our training is competitive and it's high intensity and there's points on, on offer. So there's winners and losers all the time because we want that competition. We want them to want to win. But we can't be winning a game over development. It's, it's, winning is, is in when they're 21. That's winning. Mm-hmm. If they win for the first team, that's winning. Winning on a Sunday, it's not really winning. It's just a training session. It's another extension of training. But, but like I said, those additional games or tournaments we go to, that's when we put the pressure on them. We, we, we purposely put pressure on them because we want them to feel that pressure and feel what it's like when you have to win to see, you know, so that we can learn from it. Do you see much of a difference in the range of responses from the players when they lose a game in your games programme on a Sunday compared to, say, losing in a tournament? Is there, is there any difference? Uh, kids, kids are funny. They're, they're, they're individual and they're, and they're pretty... They're pretty tough and, and don't really care that much at times. So some of the kids will will be hurt and you can see them really hurting. Some of the kids will be laughing and having a bit of a joke with each other. And and that that doesn't really vary between, you know, a, a festival and a and a games programme. Obviously in a tournament when they if they go far and they lose, they're hurting. And and you can see that hurt. But but then it's the skill of the coach to talk about the learning opportunity that they've that they've just had. How you know how well they've done, but but how would they do it better? But kids, you know what it's like. We talk about it on the courses. Kids forget about the result pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know they forget about it, and I think we we can't just hang on to it. We need to let it go as well. Yeah. To the point where do we on a Sunday do we need to ask? Because this is this is something that you, you you talk about in the in the clubs, particularly. I mean, I've worked in a few academies. After the Sunday, you'd speak to somebody. What was the score? It's like, well, I'll tell you the score, but I'd rather tell you about these three players and these three players, that three that have done really well, three that maybe struggled today, and then we've got a few in the middle that have done all right as well. So actually, maybe, maybe the culture is about, well, what was the score, what was the score? So we're actually saying, well, the score doesn't exist, it doesn't matter, but our behaviours don't, don't match what we're saying because we're asking about the score a lot. And really, I'd rather people ask me about, well, who did well today? You know, how did we perform? Yeah. Did did we did we play out from the back? Because that's what we've been working at all week, all week. So it's it's a big culture change, but yeah, do, that reminds. So I don't know if that answered your question. It, yeah, but, but yeah. It's, it, it is. It's in the middle. It has to be a hybrid of the two. Yeah, they have to, the result. Are, the results are will be important at some at some stage. So we have to be able to teach them to deal with it when it is important. But at this moment, it isn't important. So we have to add that pressure onto them at times, purposefully. Thoughtfully, but we have to we have to make sure that they experience it because the, the first time they experience it can't be playing for the first team, can't be. So we have to make sure that they've experienced it. So you've you, you've got a real justification for why because when if and when they do step up into that first team environment, when three points potentially people's jobs are at stake, yeah, they've got to be able to handle that that pressure. Yeah, and I suppose that's where the difference comes between the elite environment and and the grassroots game, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I, th- I think that having a justification is is probably the main thing because it, what it means is is that you've thought about it and you've considered it. If you haven't got a justification, if you can't justify why, then I think that you probably need to have a good think about what you're doing. 
mm. and to make sure that you, you understand why you're doing it. Because there's a place for everything, you know, there's a place, you know, just take coaching, there's a place for command, there's a place for question and answer. As long as you understand why you're using it, yeah. then that's okay. But I'm guessing it's not like you're being nasty to the players. It's not like you're, you know, you're bullying them into well, winning this no, game. No, 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 no. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. This week, we've we've played away in, in the youth cup, and we were down in London, and we got to to watch one of the younger kids from this club train. So we were having a, a, a very nice cup of coffee, looking out over this indoor 3G dome, which was beautiful. And I think, from what I was looking at, I think they were under 10s, maybe, and they were having a penalty shootout, and. You're trying to replicate what a penalty shootout feels like. And they've got a goal, they've got a keeper, and they've got the two teams lined up. Just looks like a penalty shootout. The only additions are one guy, one of the coaching staff, had a video phone and was filming the, the, the penalty shootout. And the other coach was stood with a megaphone where the penalty spot was. So one was filming, one had a megaphone. So as they stood up, megaphone giving him loads of grief ready to step up to take his penalty when he missed video phone was in his face like looking at him and all the lads were laughing and it was great environment and that's it comes back to something you know Pete Sturgis said uh, stuck with me that we need to create an environment where we can throw the kitchen sink at the kids because they have to be able to deal with it but they have to, it has to be an environment that can support them when, when it gets tough and, and that summed that quote up for me because they were getting grief they had pressure it was really getting them to, to practice being in such a harsh environment, but it was in such a safe environment. And I thought it was a fantastic bit. And I, I enjoyed that coffee and I enjoyed watching that, watching that session because I just thought, you know what, a brilliant, a brilliant bit, of, bit of coaching and good justification of why they were doing it. And I thought it was spectacular. So, so sometimes maybe we are horrible, but, but as long as there's a thought behind it and the environment's safe, I think, I think it's okay. So what are the, some of the methods that you use in your own practice at the club to enable that environment where the kitchen sinks can be thrown around yeah well well you've got to create the the environment first it's so you know we've got to be consistent and we've got to be positive with the kids so we've got to realize that the kids need to realize that we're here for them we care about them and we're trying to help them and once they they sort of get that then you can then you can start stretching them making them feel uncomfortable at times when it's needed because they all need to feel the best, the worst, the strongest, the quickest, the slowest. The, so they need to be able to experience that full range of, of positives and negatives. We, we talked about speed bumps. So this year we introduced it to the players and the parents about how we were going to ensure that the players throughout their, their time at the academy have speed bumps. A speed bump is, you know, a negative in the road it's something that slows them down it's something that makes them think oh god I'm a, uh, you know this is difficult I've not experienced that before something that's going to make them think it could be a negative it could be something that just makes them feel uncomfortable takes them out of their comfort zone maybe even to their panic zone but somewhere where they're, they're not always there and, and they, they have to call on things that they don't use and uh, develop skills that maybe that they haven't quite developed yet. So we talked about stuff like that. I mean, what, what does it look like? It looks like anything from being substituted, for example, is a speed bump. They have to be able to deal with being subbed or, or not starting or not finishing a game or maybe not playing that weekend or maybe playing for a different age group that weekend. Maybe it's they're playing up an age group or a cross age group or maybe they're playing, maybe they're an under 13 by date of birth but maybe they're playing for the under 12s this weekend or maybe they're playing for the under 14s this weekend 
anything that sort of gives them the that that feeling of uncertainty because it'll develop stuff like resilience grit determination coping strategies um so we, we have we call them speed bumps and we try and ensure that everyone in the academy has speed bumps throughout their journey because if they just have a journey that goes from the floor upwards 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 by the time they get to first team they won't have developed the coping strategies or the resilience that that will be needed because if you sign a first year professional deal you're not going straight into the squad you're not you know going to play every game you're not going to sometimes you might travel to an away game and not even be in the squad so you've gone all that way and actually you don't do anything and then when the game finishes what do you have to do you might have to train because you haven't played so there's plenty of things that when you actually if you are lucky enough to get that far could you know if that's your first experience that could be a real negative experience you might not recover from that so we need to make sure that they've experienced everything that possibly that they could experience by the time they get to that stage and and that's plenty of positives but it has to be the odd negative as well and are these speed bumps are they discussed or shared with the player beforehand or is it dropped on them what's the process that you go through again as long as you can as long as you've thought about it, it there's not a one size fits all so sometimes it's it's dropped on them straight away bang deal with that let's see how you deal with it it might be that it's something that we discuss with the parents and the players that over the next couple of weeks we're going to try and develop this you know we i worked with a player the other day basically every time that the referee makes a decision he doesn't react well to it so every time during the game i kept giving the decision against him every single decision even if it was obvious foul corner no it wasn't a corner corner just to see how he dealt with it and i talked to him afterwards about why do you think i did that yeah because of my reaction so it could be as simple as that about refereeing decisions but but there has to be something where it's a a, a negative and a, a, a it is exactly what it says a bump in the road that makes them slow down and reevaluate where they are and learn something new that they haven't learned before yeah, and again is this something that that starts literally under nines right the way through yeah 100 yeah, percent. yeah 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 it has to be obviously it, it looks different because the game looks different but but yeah, it has to be all the time, yeah. yeah. So, again, another question that came in was about the work that you've been doing in, in the psych social corners. So what, what else what else are you working with in those areas with the players in, in your club? Self-awareness, I think, is massive and an understanding of how the brain works. So we, we have you know, a company that, that's developed a really good website that we have resources on and worksheets on that we can work with them. Uh, we do that with the under-18s and the 15s, 16s a lot, and then we do CPD workshops with parents and the younger kids as well. So we might. So last uh, in the last season, for example, we did a mindset workshop in one room and a safeguarding workshop in the other. So we put all the parents through a safeguarding children workshop, and then we put all the kids through a growth mindset workshop. Both at the same time, went up to the stadium, two lovely little rooms, tea and coffee on for the parents, juice on for the boys, and we discussed you know some of the things around what a growth mindset is how the brain works why do you feel like this sometimes and how can we how can we help you deal with it and moving forward what can we do what can you do that that will you know improve you and your game so we do plenty plenty of stuff like that um i think it's again similar to what you mentioned before about having is it win is it one or the other win or performance I think it has to be integrated in everything that you do you know it has to be part of your coaching it can't just be today I'm going to work on this it has to be part of your coaching and you know sometimes you might shine the light on one area more than the other 
but but all areas are sort of working. Um, I think that's that's Stuart Delaney, who's our FA coach, educator, uh, developer. Sorry, was a, a phrase that he used about how you shine the light maybe more on one area at times than the others. And I thought that was a real good analogy because there might be a session going on, and for you. I might just be shining the light in the social corner for you because of something that's that's going on or maybe that's what we're working on. But for, for your teammate, you know, I might be really shining the light in a technical technical corner for him. And that's where it comes down to, you know, individualising your coaching sessions. So I would say we, we do a lot about it and I think a lot of clubs now have sort of cottoning on to the idea that actually this is really important. Um, so we do interventions to, to sort of support it and, and shine a light on, on an area or a focus but then it has to be integrated in your coaching sessions as well so what's the process that you go through to start to individualize this for each of the players or what what is the process that your coaches are even going through yeah so i mean to make it easier every every player has an individual learning plan to which they reevaluate every six weeks um the individual learning plan is a smart target really it's about what what am I work what do I need to improve what how am I going to do it who's going to help me and how can I measure it and we have two terms we have a super strength and we have an area of development and we we say we define it as a super strength is is something that's why you're here you know that's what you do that's really special to you an area of development is something that you're really keen on on working on or improving or it's been highlighted to you that you need to work on and improving the players take a lead on this. So they, they highlight what, what each area is. They meet with the coach. We talk about it. We commit it to some paper. That's actually a laptop, but we commit it to the laptop and then and we work on it over the six weeks. So we have an idea of they're working on these two things for the next six weeks. Obviously, the topic might change because you might be working on playing out from the back or then playing through midfield a few weeks later, but they're still working on those two things. Yeah, so how would that link in with the overall team objectives so you said it's so it's a six week cycle. Does it change every six weeks? Does it? Do they? It depends. If, it, it depends on, on how the meeting goes. Really, with the so older the, the older they go, we want them to bring evidence to these meetings. So we've got Huddle. So the sixteens can clip on Huddle, which is an analysis website, and they can go look. Here's my here's my the number of times I pass forward in January, and here we are in March, and here's a clip of me in the last game, how many times I've, played, I've passed forward. So we want them to sort of lead it and bring evidence. The younger ones, we include the parents with them and we say, go on, tell us tell us how you've done, what have you been doing over the last six weeks? We've seen a real improvement in here. Should you carry on with it? Do you think you need to work on it a bit longer or are you ready to move on to something else? To be honest, that the actual process of of that is more important than that itself. So actually them being able to self-reflect and come up with a plan for themselves and review their own performance, I mean, we're developing learners there. So actually what it looks like isn't the massive issue. The fact that they can do it and start to self-reflect and start to evaluate their performance and start to put an action plan together, that's probably more important. So what have been the range of responses that you've had back from the players when you've involved them in this individual yeah very 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 different very different depending on are they doing it themselves have they got support from the parents have they have they listened to the coach or have they just have they spent a lot of time on it have they just put down whatever it's 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 real variance but when you hand things over to the kids that's 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 what you're going to get you're going to get a mixed bag because they're kids so you just got to be aware that listen we're handing responsibility this over to you lot we need to understand as coaches what do we get back? It's going to be messy. 
it is going to be messy. So we've had some that have said, score more goals. And we've had some that have said, I, I want to try and receive and play forward on my first touch in central areas. There's, there's two real contrasting individual learning plans. You know, and what we've got to do is, we've got to work with the one who says, score more goals. Well, can you control that? Do you have control over how many goals you score? Or is there something else that you can maybe choose that, that links to scoring goals that you can control more? So maybe about how often do you receive it in goal scoring opportunities or how often are you getting shots on target or things that they can actually control that's what we work with him the other one we can actually start working with his technical his technical work and is he actually meeting his his ILP individual learning plan yeah go back to that grassroots analogy yeah. let's say you're volunteering with a uh, a team you can choose the age yeah what sort of process would you go about to to replicate that kind of principle in a, yeah. in a grassroots environment could be as simple as a A4 page that you've laminated with a whiteboard pen. Could be a, a, a whiteboard with a pen that they could turn up every day. What are you working on tonight? So what, what are you working on tonight, Jack, when you're in training? What do you really want to work on? Because if you know what they're really working on, you can start praising and highlighting when they do it well and start giving them some information that's actually relative to, to what they want. So it can be as simple as that. It could be as simple as a whiteboard and a pen. It could be as high-tech as you know, having a little picture of, of the player with a little line next to it saying I'm working on and putting some information in. It could be, you know, whatever you have time for. I guess the, the thought behind getting them to reflect on, the, on their own performance and highlighting something that they think they need to work on is more important than what it looks like. So how do you develop them reflection skills that you mentioned in the players then? So you've, you've, you've set the objectives. Yeah. You've... You've tried to help them support the process during the sessions. What what's the bit that happens in between? What and how we set it, or or, or after they've set so it? So how do you how do you teach the players to to reflect against what it is their their well, learning could, objectives are? Ask questions, and and embrace the silence sometimes because ask good questions because you need to get them thinking about stuff, and then let them talk and let them listen and and make sure you're listening, let them talk because. They, they'll start talking and eventually something will, will come out that you can go, right, I'm going to pick on that bit. Um, and that was a really good bit. What, what about that that you do particularly? So I would say ask, ask a lot of questions and make sure that you listen for, for starters. And then throughout the six weeks, it's just a gentle reminder about, right, what, what are you working on tonight, Jack? I know we're working on playing through midfield, but, but what particularly are you looking at? You know, what is it that you're looking at? Well, passing with your weaker foot, brilliant, okay. And then all, once you're clear on that, all you've got to do is shine the light on it when it happens. Or ask a question when he, maybe he had the opportunity to do it. So if he didn't do it, Jack, what are you working on tonight again? Right, what would you do if you had that opportunity again? Brilliant, you might use your weaker foot, good lad. Or he's done it, Jack, I spotted that, top man. And you move on. So it's just, it's about asking good questions, getting them to, to, getting them to have something that comes out and hanging on that something. And then it's about shining the lights on it when, when you do it or when they don't do it. And I guess that as you go, it doesn't have to, remember, it doesn't have to be perfect now. It doesn't have to be perfect. So if you said, working on my weaker foot, that's fine, that's brilliant. Next time we meet, it might be something more specific. Next time we meet, it might be even more specific. And, and as long as you understand that, it's just, a, just get a starting point with them. Get a starting point. Because you can work on you know, their reflections. And you'll do that by asking good questions. Mm -hmm. And 
I suppose reinforcing the notion that that learning doesn't happen in a straight line and actually oh, probably yeah. go backwards a yeah. lot of the time all over the place yeah, yeah all over the place and like I said before our job is to just to be there and support them and that reinforces what you were saying earlier about really getting to know and understand your players because if you've got a squad of, what, what, what sort of squad range sizes have you got that a coach would deal with you could safely say 15, 16 yeah which is pretty, pretty typical to what what would be out there in grassroots yeah, for, yeah. for a 9 or 11 a side team so you've got 15 or 16 different individual learning plans that yeah. you're as a coach trying to keep in your head yeah there's quite a lot we've going. got two, two per age group coaches so then you, you have 8 maybe 7 yeah. or 8 you've got per coach but yeah you know, you've you, you've got a lot, and that's why it's that's why coaching is difficult when you start trying to individualise it. But that's that's where it becomes its most effectiveness. That's where it becomes most effective because it's it's about you. It's not about playing out from the back. It's about you. So how? Yeah, you've just sidetracked my thought there a little bit, but in a good way. So you've got, and this is something that again, we have a lot in grassroots where you'll have coaches working as a pair, but often yeah. the relationship is coach manager or coach and cone picker upper <laughs> yeah how do you how do you get your coaches to work together for the benefit of the players well so my job is to obviously support the coaching staff that we've got and then we have someone from the FA that comes in and supports us and he did a bit of work and he said I'm going to watch how you work as a pair today and I thought oh that's interesting so I was working with with our youth development phase lead our 12 to 16 lead and we had such good reflections afterwards because we thought that's actually what that's all we see we see, and this is going back some months now but it's you're right you have one person that leads and you have one person that steps back and then right it's my turn i'm leading this bit you step back and actually it's not about that it's about there's two of you here there's a lot of knowledge and experience in the room get in there get in there and make it work so it was a really good cpd event for us because it really sort of awoken us to woke us to the, the fact that we're working as a pair we don't just need to plan the session and the individual bits we need to actually plan how we manage ourselves and the session so that was a real a, a real learning curve for us and that's something we've discussed with all the coaches since really about let's take a team talk for example what are the key messages who's going to say it and how is it going to be said and actually how often do you just go into a team talk and go right lads and you just give them a load of information and then I finish talking and then my teammate, my coach mate comes and he gives a load of information and then the players leave with probably nothing when actually if we are coordinated and planned we can say right there's three messages here two of them are out of possession so I'll take those and then you finish off with that in possession one and that's what we're going to finish on so that they go out really feeling positive that's such a coordinated way of working so to answer your question, it's something that's been highlighted to us and it's something that's, that's really, really important and probably overlooked at times. Yeah, I think it's a real, it could be a real game changer and it's something that I'm not particularly well practised at myself just yeah. purely because most of my own coaching career I've, I've had the group on my own and yeah. I think it, I've started to work with a, another coach now um, and it's something that we're actively trying to get better at is working yeah. together. So one of the things that we've tried to do is um, take a team each so yeah manage the opposition yeah so I might uh, the the boys so we've we've tried to break down those individual plans again to what the boys are are trying to get better at so the the players to the best that we can are are 
we we plan for the teams that we want to or the players that we want matched up against one another. Yeah. That doesn't always work out because you've got players who will be have other commitments on or illness or injury. Yeah, but yeah. we'll have a kind of a general thought of who we want playing against each other, and then there'll be uh, so for example the the players that I might be working with could be um, out of possession, reacting to the moment that we lose the ball. Yeah. And then the, other, the coach I'm working with, he could be working with uh, uh, in possession on counter-attacking. Yeah. So we, we've tried to... And and, and, yeah, and, and we, we, it's still... Um, we're still learning. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it gives you a, a narrower focus and a, and a smaller number of players to... Yeah. focus your own attention and rather than worrying about the whole group yeah I spoke to a good friend of mine on the way down over to you this morning and he was saying that he's, he's talking about something he calls spotlight coaching so basically he the way they're going to work it is one of the coaches leads the session and the other coach maybe picks a handful of players that he's going to focus on so that he he's looking at maybe three or four players and their ILPs um, which again just a just another way of, of doing it you know I, I think what you said there about how if your coaches come together and, and manage the opposition, it can really complement your session because it can highlight the, the learning outcome you know, really effectively. So I think that's a, that's a really good way of thinking. But again, going back to what I said earlier, as long as you're considering, considering it, it's a good start. Mm. So if, if you're starting to talk to your mate and go, how are we going to do this? Who's going to do what? Who's going to say what? I think that's, that's a real positive thing. I don't want to leave you just there on players. There's, there's plenty more I want to ask you about yeah. um, about working with the players. But since we're on the topic of coaches, there's some great questions again that, that came in around this. So what um, what's the sort of process that, that you would go through uh, within your club to, to recruit a coach? And what are some of the things that you, you'd be looking for within a, co- a coach? Yeah. I mean, linking back to the EPPP, there's certain requirements that a coach needs to have to work in an academy. We've um, our foundation lead has set up something that's that's been really positive over the past two or three years. Um, he has a, a group of volunteers that, that come in and sort of lead what we call pre academy, which is basically anyone under under nine and below, and um, development centres. So again, similar sort of age group, but but aren't with with the main group. So we have a, a group of fantastic volunteers that that come and just do so many things. It's it's unbelievable for us. They're um, and, and the coach as well. And and we're sort of using that as almost like our coaching pathway and succession planning. So we've got some fantastic coaches that are in our pre-academy and, and development centres that are maybe going through their B licence at the moment. Maybe they've done their youth award but, but haven't got their B licence. So we're, we're sort of supporting them through their B licence as they support us with our academy delivery and pre-academy delivery. Um, and and that's, that's our pathway for our coaches. So when a coach moves on, we have a coach that's already sort of ingrained within the academy. He's he understands the values, the behaviours, the setup that we can almost step step right in, um, and that's that's something that, that that our foundation leader set up. I think it's an absolutely fantastic um, process that we've got. It gives us a real good indication of of the people that we have in the building, and it's a it's a great great process to to get good people into into our academy as well. Um, Without that, I think it's about building up relationships with with local clubs, with with local authorities, local county affairs, and making sure that, that you're aware of you know the good, positive, proactive coaches that are out in your area because because there's plenty. Um, I think if if I was a coach looking for for getting getting into a club, I think it's just about asking asking questions. You know, that's 
like I said to you earlier, when I was working in a local authority, I, I managed to get an opportunity in, in an academy just from asking loads of people, can I get in? And I started just going and watching. Uh, then, I, then I got a scouting role. Then a coaching role came up, but it was volunteer. Then I managed to get a paid coaching role part-time. And then when I got made redundant from the council, I literally turned up every single day and just said, what can I do? Can I do something today? Mm-hmm. So I think the more the more you can... Now, listen, that was... That was easy for me because I'd been made redundant so it was that or Jeremy Kyle but but you know if you've got a job it's difficult but but you know we train in the evenings we train you know the weekends we have games on a Sunday and all clubs do so I think if you are keen to get into an academy I think you've got you've probably got to go and volunteer so that you you build up that relationship and that trust with the club and and showcase what you what you bring really I think what you bring so what would be what would be some of the things that you would look for when matching a coach with a certain age group? Are there certain qualities or skills or behaviours that would influence your decision of, of which age group to put a certain coach with? I think firstly, I, I want our coaches to be curious, first and foremost. They need to be curious about the game, about themselves, about development. That's, that's sort of non-negotiable, really. We need to make sure that, that we have people in there that, that have an open mind to learning and realise that they've got stuff to learn and, and you'll always keep on learning I think if we have that as a starter you're in a really good spot then with regards to age groups yeah there is you know you do start assigning people to age groups so uh, for example I mean we're, we're really fortunate at our club we have a really good link with a, with a college a football college and we have a lot of football lecturers that actually come and work in our academy as well so we're really fortunate but basically it's, it, it's really about your personality and about your experiences that you have so if you've got, you know, if your experience is, let's say, you know, you're maybe a bit older, you worked in non-league and, you know, you, you work in education, higher education, for example, you know, it would be quite a big jump for you to go and then work with our under nines. Whereas if you're, a, you know, a young kid you know, just got through the B licence and the youth award, experience of working in primary schools, it again would be a big jump for them to go and work with our under 16s. So I think it has to be about personality and about experiences that they've had. And that doesn't mean that that, that they're stuck in that, that area. It just means that that's probably where they best match at that point in time. And I think when they're in at that point in time, then you have experience either side of that age group. So if you're an under nine coach, you know, you need to be going working with the eights that we have in, and you need to be working with the tens that we've got. So you need to broaden your horizons a little bit. But but that initial sort of appointment, it's really based on personality and about experiences they have or yeah. bring. I think one of the things that comes across there is is the the value of those experiences. So I uh, lucky enough to get to speak and work with loads of uh, ambitious coaches who who want to find that way and forge that way into into an academy. Yeah, and um, rightly or wrongly, we'll see. Maybe their their sole route into there is is just purely by qualifications. So, yeah. I mean, if you were, what advice would you give to a um, a coach who is uh, working in grassroots at the moment, but has real aspirations to to get into the academy network and start coaching within that? Be prepared. It might start as a volunteer. It might start as a voluntary role. It might start with you just coming and observing. You know, and, and actually, it's just just making contact with with somebody in an academy. You know, and I, I can really only go off sort of you know what what I did. And like I said, you know, when I wanted to go and get that full time role in coaching, I had four part time coaching roles because 
I was just trying to do as much as I can to try and build up enough momentum to get into a coaching role. I think it's the same principle when you're working with an academy. I think it's about getting out, making sure you see a lot of academies, how they work, going and meeting people, offering your services, might even be in a voluntary capacity, and, and, and just almost getting yourself out there. Because I think there was a, a really good author, loads of his books, I think he's absolutely fantastic, and, and he, he talks about how it isn't the material, it's the person that people buy into. It's the person. And I know people use this, well, it's who you know, not what you know. And I disagree with that because you, you've got to be able to do the job. But who you know is important because it's about building a relationship with somebody. And for me, it's about the people. So what I would say is be prepared that you might have to go and volunteer. Be prepared that you might have to go and observe and just be on the, the outskirts for, for some time until you build up that relationship or that opportunity opens for you to step in. And then when you when you step in, showcase what you can do. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because there's, particularly in the, in the Northwest, there's, there's a lot of people and a lot of coaches and you know there is a lot of clubs but there's a lot more coaches than there are clubs so it, it's a, it, it, I imagine it's, it's difficult I do imagine it's difficult but I think if, if you really want it I think it's about being proactive you know going and meeting people in academies asking to come and observe asking if there's anything they can do asking if I can volunteer you know and I think I think that was that was a bit of advice that I'd have probably given myself a long, long, long time ago because when I was at Black, when I was at Blackpool and I worked in that the academy part time and I just kept turning up, you know, so many opportunities came to me just by me asking and by being there. And if I wasn't, if I'd just stayed at home that day and and done something else, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to work with a certain player or you know watch a certain manager work. And you know, I had actually so many opportunities by just going and just being around there you know being around there and there's loads of people if you talk to them that are in full-time football at the moment that have had similar tales where they've just gone they've just gone and done stuff you know even if it's just observing yeah actually that that reminds me of a topic that i like to uh wind you up and get you talking about which is yeah. uh, practice practice design yeah so give us some of your your thoughts and your views on that and, and where you are at the moment with it where am I at the moment uh, the important thing is game realism it's got to be realistic to the game but it's about what does the game look like for that player at that time so if he's a nine year old what does the game look like if he's 18 what does the game look like and we need to make sure that the practice mirrors what they actually go and play so that for me has been has been a challenge because obviously I've come from you know one area from the FA where we're, we're talking about principles and then I've, I've come into an area where actually it's, it's a real specifics so I have to I have to nail down if I'm doing a session in and around the box it has to look like what our attacks look like in and around the penalty box we need to have the right numbers it needs to be in the right area of the pitch. Uh, Patterns need to be similar, etc., etc., etc. So that's that's been a real challenge for me. But that's that's a real important thing that the practice has to look like the game. Yeah, and that's something that it, in my own practice recently, um, you know, I get a third of a of a an yeah, astro it's difficult, turf. Yeah, yeah, and but I did something that really opened my eyes, and I don't know how I've never done this before, but I was trying to think of ways that I can use every yard of space that I've got yeah. to my disposal and. What I did was I had a a, uh, a map of a pitch printed out 
And then I got a, a post-it note, um, roughly the same size as a, or like the same size of, of the third of the pitch. Okay. And all I started to do was take that post-it note and just move it around. Oh, so, see which areas. Of yeah, the pitch and turn it ninety degrees, and, yeah. and just shifted it around just to give and just very to promote. Creative, that, well, very, I know. Yeah. It's like a blue Peter, <laughs> and just to get some ideas of the of the sort of distances, and um, it's really got me thinking about how I can use. Uh, space more creatively because you you talked about realism there and yeah. you know real realism you know I, I suppose if you're looking at the detail of realism other players making realistic decisions but it mm-hmm. it goes to you know right down to um, distances between players yep. so and one of the things that this has done is made me um, just start to think about how we use the space within this third so practice that we did last Wednesday night was. Um, set up so the goalkeeper's area is the penalty area is 44 yards wide but mm-hmm. the area that we have is 33 okay so um playing a, a, a small sided game but the goalkeeper can now pick the ball up it, it's basically a line straight okay. across the pitch yeah so at least to trying to give the goalkeeper reference points yeah it? a little bit more um you know it, it's still not 44 by 18 but it's yeah. 33 by 12 for example yeah, so yeah. It's, it's trying to make those spaces more realistic and then importantly the distance between, say, the edge of the box and where the halfway line would be. So suddenly now we've got a, a halfway line going across this third of the pitch um, where the play play starts in. And again, there's your reference point for off, yeah. what would be offside in a match. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. It, some of the, and I don't, don't know if that um, if that mirrors anything that you're doing in, in your own. Yeah, hundred percent. It just has to look, it has to look like the game. It has to look like the game. We got you know you, some of the things that annoy me. You know, if you if you're lucky enough to have the space. You need to use the part of the pitch that that aspect happens on. So if you're if you're doing something in and around the box, then the practice has to be in and around the box. Otherwise, it's not relevant to the players. If you're not lucky enough to have the space, you know you need to be creative, like like you were saying there, around how you use the space and how you provide those reference points for the players. So you know, for example, an area for the goalkeeper is really important because you know when you take a goal kick, players need to be outside of the area. Uh, and that's that's a reference point to keep the game real. So, you know, it, reference points are really important. The distances between the units, but it has to just it has to look like the game for them, not for a first teamer, for them. So, if you're working with under nines, it has to look like under nine game, not a full first team game. And you just reminded me of something there that is really important. I think when you're when you're designing practices, is is actually thinking of things that either do or can't happen within the laws of the game and it yeah. reminded me of, of a story you told me a, a, a while back now about your daughter's tennis lesson <laughs> yeah yes now listen I, I, you know he was trying the best that he could with the resources he had to him at the time but I mean my daughter was five and I took her to this tennis lesson because she wanted to go and you know I, I struggled through these sort of things so I was stood there sort of biting my lip really not to say anything but you know he had uh, as you you probably term a bus queue, you know, a net in the middle. You had one bus queue on one side and one bus queue on the other. She was handed a tennis racket that was the size of her body. And I think she got two goes to hit a ball in about 40 minutes time. Um, she hit one, didn't go over the net and she hit, she missed the other one. So you can look at the stats of her learning outcomes during that session and it was not the best. And, you know, she was, they were sat down and, and talked about details about, you know, Rafael Nadal and Federer, you know, and she was a five-year-old girl who'd never really watched tennis on telly, having to put up with that. 
you know and the, the funny bit is on the way home when I asked her about did you enjoy it mm, yeah well what was the best part of it well I got to to chat with with Jessica for for extra time after school and that's the bit that she enjoyed and then about 10 minutes later she said to me daddy and I said yeah she goes what's a Nadal and you think geez you know that's it's just no relevance to her and really if you think about well what what should it look like for for somebody who's five well maybe it looks like balloons maybe it's it's using their hands and they're just playing with their partners because it's hand-eye coordination so that's it's you know it's a, it was a funny funny sort of story you know and I know I've spoken to you about it in the past but it just highlights that that it has to has to be relevant to their age and stage of development and not to what we think the game looks like at the end point because they're not at that end point so if, if we're ever practicing a game we need to make sure we if we're setting up a practice we need to start with what does the game look like for that player at that point and then work backwards from there and if you can pull out patterns and, and pictures and things that happen in that game and transfer that into your practice then you're on to an absolute flyer because that's where the transfer of learning will happen because they'll come across that pattern in the game. And so to get those realistic pictures, you mentioned about the use of video before. How, how do you use, do you, do you even use the video technology to, to maybe freeze frame and work back from there? How yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really useful. We, we were actually talking about this in the office the other day about, you know, free, and I think a friend of mine put, put something up on Twitter as well about how, you know, freeze-framed and, and sort of took the numbers that are in that area and tried to make a practice out of it. Um, for me, practice design, I think we tend to overcomplicate it. For me, I, I, and we're, we're looking at our coaching curriculum at the moment, but we've got sort of eight to ten best practice sessions, and they're just templates. And you can play around with those templates, but really, if you keep creating new practices... The players just spend time learning the practice, not the game. And what we need to do is keep the practice really simple and teach them the game within the practice. So for me, the simpler the practice, the more effective the learning can, can, can come from it. And I just tend, I, I, what I see is I, tend, I see a tendency to overcomplicate sessions. And they, they don't need to be simple. You know, and there's some, some real good stuff. The boot room, for example, talked about thirds, channels, halves. How simple is that? But but think about the learning outcomes you can get from just splitting up a pitch, playing a game, but splitting up the pitch in those areas, and maybe putting some some constraints onto those practices. So for me, if it, you know, if if what I'm looking for from our coaches is, is just to keep the practice simple, and make sure that we're teaching stuff that happens within the game. I remember uh, being a, a newly qualified twenty year old, spent a summer out in the states for a few months, and I came back and. Um, I was like, I might be on a course actually, and, and the tutor said, oh, how, "How do you know if you're a good coach?" And I, <laughs> embarrassed of me to now, said something like, "Well, I did uh, did twelve weeks coaching, five days a week, and I never did the same practice twice." Yeah, thinking, "Oh, great! Well, look at this. I can make yeah, all these yeah, practices yeah. up." And uh, soon got hit back down to earth when when the um, much more experienced person than me said, "Well, how do you know if the players have learnt?" Yeah. And I didn't have an answer, and it was so yeah. true. And I just, I used to think that, well, well you've, you, if you've got loads of sessions, you've got loads of practices, then surely you must be a good coach. Well, yeah. well you know, what you're saying there is that you've got some, um, without overcomplicating it, uh, the the importance of revisiting and, and giving players the, the chance to have another go and develop uh, over over a period of time. Yeah, massively. Yeah, yeah massive. And like you said, if you if you're doing the same practice or the same template. You, you can start to measure how, how they're doing. Are they actually taking this on? Are they learning? Are they getting better? Is he learning? Is he struggling? 
you know whereas if like you say if you're doing a different session every every week the, the players will spend majority of the time learning your new session rather than the game itself and that that's a frustration I, I see often with coaches when they'll they'll have a new practice that they want to um they want to work with the players and it and it might take half of the session before the players don't quite you know understand the practice to any sort of level that the coach yeah. already does yeah so that that patience is is so important yeah. isn't it and and if and if you're coaching as well you know they they need time to learn that so you can't go in and start coaching after 3 minutes or 4 minutes because they might still be learning the game let them play for a bit let them understand and and realize that the first part of this practice is them learning the practice once they learn the practice then we can start supporting them with the game principles and looking through the players eyes actually when you're doing something new that can be quite a daunting prospect for a young young player no, they're, they're in front of their peers they they might not fully understand what they're meant to do they might not have yet have the confidence to speak up and, and ask the coach and and if they've got a question or they don't quite understand the yeah. practice that, that can be quite a nerve-wracking time for oh, a young 100%, player yeah. yeah I guess the point comes back to it's about it's about adding layers isn't it detail it's about adding layers we don't need to give them everything today we need to give them a little bit you know and actually you know i remember we've chatted about you know level one and then the coach come back after four or five weeks saying i've done all those games what what, what else have you got for me and it's like well listen it's great that you've gone off and practiced all those games but but just let's go back to this one game think about the amount of topics that you could teach in that one game and and really even if you just pick one topic there might be four or five sections to that topic and we might just look at one part of that section this week and then we might build on it next week and like you said, if, if you're having to learn a new game, you don't actually get underneath to get to get the, the, the detail of the of the information you're trying to get across. You just get the superficial learning the practice. So for me, simplify your practice. Have a handful of, of good templates that you can use that, that are simple to understand and allow you to to draw out the information that, that, that happens in the game. So jumping back over to to players now I said we were going to go around the houses with yeah. this conversation but um, how do the players respond then to that <clears throat> that consistency of approach whether it be through behaviours through practice through the wider environment what, what's, what are you getting back well consistency of behaviour creates culture doesn't it that's behaviour drives culture so um, what it does is it, it provides a sort of standard to, to live and work by so that's that's why it's essential. So, so if if we're consistent with our behaviours, what do we get back? With the same behaviours. Yeah, and that's, and then, that's what we're looking for. So, if you were to take your say on under 11s now, yeah, how many of that squad have been with you since they first joined the club? What what's the kind of retention rate like within the club? Really high. Yeah, yeah really high. I'd say probably without having the figures next to me. I mean, you're looking at 90, 95 percent. Wow. Yeah, particularly in the, in the younger ages. I mean, what we look to do is, and any player that comes in at nine, we look to give them to, to under eleven, so that they have some time to get used to being in this environment, get used to training in an evening, to late, getting home late. You know, you can't we can't be judging a player six months into their under nine season, can we? I think that's that's wrong. So so we have you know an approach where we we say if you're in the foundation phase for the duration of the foundation phase unless unless there's there's some real outlying um incidents or or, or situation that, that means that we have to change that that's that's what we'd like to, to try and achieve anyway but yeah i mean the the, the progression through is is really quite high obviously the higher up you go the, the the less opportunity there is so that triangle gets smaller because that's elite football you know it's elite anything really business sport whatever it is 
you know, there's very few at the top of the game, and that's that's the same in any sort of area. But but the retention rate throughout the academies is actually quite quite positive, and I think it, I think it'll be that at most most academies, to be yeah. honest. I can imagine. I think you alluded to it before that 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 signing and releasing players is probably the most difficult part of the job. Yeah. What are some of the things that you're looking for before you um, before you sign a player, and and likewise release um, something that sets them apart from everyone else. I think you know whether it's a could be anything a dribbler, a, a, someone who gets shots off, someone that looks comfortable on the ball. It's something that sets them apart from the rest of the group, really. In in what group within within in, their group, yeah. So you would bring a player into and invite them into train with the yeah. I mean the, the process that we have, we have you know a recruitment team that go out and, and look at hundreds and thousands I'm sure of players um, and, and basically they go through this, this process and then if, if they meet certain criteria then they get brought into the sort of main group and then we, we have them in for a six week period which in some, t- in some ways is a long, is a long time in some ways isn't because yeah, you know it's difficult to, to judge anybody never mind a kid in six weeks but that's the process that we have in place where they come in for six weeks you know we, we try and play them in the position that, that they think that they play we we might offer them a secondary position to try and have a look at we ask them to to do whatever it is that they that they were spotted for in the first place so if they're a dribbler show us that you're a dribbler but but try and show us this and this as well so for example if you know if they're coming in as a wide player you know we might ask them to look at dribbling because that's what you're good at but i'd also like you to see if you can you know cross the ball when you can and can you work hard when we haven't got the ball so we're, we're trying to drip feed some of the stuff that we're looking from from a club perspective in there as well um but you know it's a it's a snapshot and there's 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 so many good players out there it's it's you know it's it's difficult and we've got to be quite selective really the older up they get it becomes a a little bit more position specific because the the spaces that we have for an under 18 is is limited so we have to make sure that we're as best as we can that we're getting the right players in to the right parts of, of our team yeah. that will give them the best opportunity to show themselves in a good light you know so recruitment decisions so you mentioned quite a lot of the, the, the technical tactical stuff there is there anything any sort of qualities or traits that you're looking for wider across the yeah so I mean our, our head of recruitment is actually from one of the talent ID courses I think he, he went on and he actually delivers the course as well so we're very lucky but he's um, some CPD we did with the scouts was around um, really we're looking at sort of resilience so what, what some of the stuff we were asking for was yes the technical and tactical stuff but how does he react when he's subbed how does he react when he lost how does he react when the ref gives the decision the wrong way how does he react so we're looking at trying to trying to bring the right people in as well saying that he's a kid so if you know there's no chance he's going to be perfect in all of those areas mm-hmm. so at some point you need to make a decision to say right he's not perfect here but this is enough for us to give him an opportunity and let's see if we can enhance what he already does well and, and support the areas that he needs support with so would your scouts have any sort of dialogue with the coach so if let's say it was a, a grassroots team that was being scouted would there be any sort of discussion with the coaches about the sort of players that yeah that I mean yeah there's a, there's a process that they have to go through obviously that that's you know that all the all the uh, recruitment staff are educated in um, but yeah it's you know like I said earlier really it's about relationships it's about really we, we want people to to call us to tell us that they've got a really good player that, that we want to give an opportunity to rather than us having to go and beg off people you know 
begs probably the wrong word, but but you know what I mean about trying to draw a player away, which was like the old old view of oh he's trying to steal my players, and it, it isn't. It shouldn't be about that really. It should be about just giving an opportunity to to a kid really. Um, so we are trying to be proactive to build those relationships so that actually people come to us and go, listen, we've got a really good kid here. Can you at least have a look at him or maybe send someone down to have a look at him? And I think that links back to what you said earlier on about having good relationships with grassroots clubs. That's how important it is. Because yeah. we all have to be on the same page. We're all trying to help the kid. You know, we're yeah. all doing it in different ways. And and, the, and you've had some success stories though, haven't you, recently? I mean, one of your, one of your players... Just started playing in the first team. Yeah, he's, he's had an absolutely fantastic start to the season. I think he played sort of ten, ten games on the on the trot for the first team, which you know is un- unbelievable. And what age is he? At uh, nineteen now, 19. but he was eighteen when it, when he broke in. Which you know to go from under eighteen football to first team football in Championship is unbelievable feat for him. So, what know. do you know about his his pathway that he's gone on to get to that point? Been in the academy since nine, under nines. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, it's a real you know like I said a real success story for the academy you know I've only come in right at the end and, and had very little influence so by no means am I you know taking credit for this but it's a, for the academy it's an unbelievable achievement really um, to have someone in from under nine to then be playing in the championship I mean the, the staff can be so proud of themselves because it's, it's it's brilliant and the, and the kid can be you know obviously so proud of, him, of himself as well um, his journey up and down up speed and down bumps. from what I've heard speed bumps loads of highs a lot of lows uh, a lot of positive times a lot of negative times and I think that's for anything if, if we are going to use this as, as a lesson I think that's the, that's the biggest lesson to, to take away is that the fact that yes he, he has done that but but the journey at times you know he'd probably felt really low and there'd have been times where really the tensions were quite visible between you know club and the coaches and the and I think that's that's a lesson to learn is that you know you said it earlier on but success isn't a, it isn't linear it's, it's up and down it's highs and lows and, and he definitely had those talk about positions he's played in every position I think apart from goalkeeper so you know that's as another lesson to say that actually and, and is you know is he is he going to be forever in that position that he's in now who knows you know he might get moved around like like many professionals do so he's a real mixed bag Highs and lows, different positions, different games, played up, played down. Yeah, a real mixed bag, real mixed bag. And when, when we spoke about this player last time, one of the things that we realised was the, the variance of his experiences as a player, but the actual little amount of those competitive matches that, that you'd mentioned... <laughs> I guess it's how you define competitive. True. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to think that he's had a lot of competitive games yeah. because everything that we do should be competitive. You know, that's healthy. Um, but but yeah, where three points matter. That's the one. In inverted commas. I mean, really, the, a league table only came in when he was playing for the under-18s. So that's, you're looking at two seasons that he's played, you know, So until under-18s, he'd never played a game where three points for a win in a, in a league. No. No, because if you think about it, if he's been in academy football since under nines, we don't publish league tables. They've just brought in now that under 16s, they have a competitive league that you can opt in of and, and not all clubs opt in um, into the league. Um, you know, so how, how serious it's taken, I'm not sure, but but it wasn't there when he was an under, under 16 player. So, yeah, so the first time he will have he would have played for th- you know three points was when he was an under 17 player, which is... Yeah 
quite interesting really when you think about it I don't know you know what, what the evidence proves but but that was the first time yeah he'd have played competitive football really well competitive in the terms of three points for a yeah. win and, and did you guys opt into the under 16 we have yeah. we did opt straight in yeah because yeah. we you know it's, it's a good opportunity for them you know for me I think it's I think it's important they need to they need to see a league table. It, you know, we've, we've I've been in, in Ireland quite a bit recently, and and I've been watching how competitive their their sort of games program is at a grassroots level, and and how you know winning and there's I mean there's relegations and promotions and stuff with, with their even under twelves, and you it blew me away a little bit. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that's the that's the right way to go, but it's definitely an experience we wanted to to give to our under sixteens in preparation for next year. So I think it's I think it's a good stepping stone towards what they're going to face when if they become an under eighteen player, you know, next season. Yeah, and it reminds me. I think it was um, I think John O'Sullivan who's uh, changing the game project over yeah. in the states. He's done loads of great work, and I think it was a quote that I said talk as well. Yeah, 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 and I think it was a quote that he'd said where it's competition in youth sports is healthy com- provided it's the children that are competing not yeah, the adults not the parents, yeah. um, it, and it wasn't actually John I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it was a guy called uh, uh, Rob Wolf um, I'll, I'll find out the, re- the reference anyway and I'll, I'll put it in there but yeah that, I think that's that's really important that that, that competition is healthy as yeah. long as it's the right people that yeah, are competing it's, it's not about the parents and the coaches it's about the kids you know and like I said earlier kids kids will deal with it and move on and I think we've got to embrace the fact that they are bouncy and, and resilient let's embrace that and they do and they pick up on on everything that you say and the nuance and the language that that is used and, yeah. and so how have you tried to shape the language that, that you use with the players and what's the importance of that in- yeah I mean I think a, a big learning for me is language has been a massive learning about how we use it and the impact it has and I think you know I've, I've done a lot of reading around positive psychology NLP um, just just loads of, of different stuff and I'm not saying that, that, that they're the answer to everything but but you take good bits from everything that you read and you know my, my, my dad as well has, has done a lot of reading and done a few courses and I remember him talking when going back to Emily and she's running around the house and I'm uh, you know I, I, I cringe every time she runs just never mind around the house but you know, she goes to gymnastics, and I can only watch half the lesson because half the lesson is the warm up, and then the other half is tumbling and stuff, and I can't even watch that. So I only watch half a lesson every week. But but when she's running around the house, and I'm not, you know, I'd be going, Emily, don't run, don't run, don't run. And my dad just said one day, he said, all she hears is run, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And he's right. It's like that. The don't think of a pink elephant. You know, it's the pink elephant that jumps straight into your head, and it's because we can't actually, we can't process the negative part. So actually, if you just reinforce the fact that we walk in this house, it's a subtle change, but that's a behaviour and it's a reinforcing behaviour. And that's, that's a big lesson. And that's what I've sort of tried to take in, into, into coaching, you know, and, and I think it's just about choosing your language. And listen, do I get it right every time? No chance, no chance. So what would some of the specific changes you've made in your coaching environment when you've considered the language that you use? Well, just if you, if you even just consider, you know, the environment, the the behaviours that we have in the academy, you know, it's very simple to say, we don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But actually it's, well, here, we do this. This is what we do in our academy. This is how we behave. It's, it's a real subtle change. And, and you might, you know, it, it might appear nothing, but it but it makes it, it makes a difference. Firstly, it's not negative. So I'm not having a go at you. I'm not, it's not me against you. It's we, we do this here. And it's suddenly by, it's, it's, draw, it's drawing you closer to me rather than me pushing you away. 
rather than me against you, it's actually drawing you closer because we do this. We, me and you and everyone else here, we do this together. So it's something that I, I really consider and I know a lot of our coaching staff do as well, consider the language that you use because it has a big impact. It has a big impact. One of the changes I've tried to make in my own coaching is when talk. so we have a, a coach's WhatsApp group within our club Yeah. and just simply change it instead of saying my under-14s, our yeah. under-14s. Yeah. I've just been really considerate and conscious about that because yeah. that, that you know it's a collective club thing rather than just... Yeah, so a a mistake I've made, you know, or a learning opportunity, if you want to think of language, but I I talked about speed bumps earlier. And at the start of the season, I talked about how we might play players up and we might play players down. You know, actually, we play across. Are you an under 14 player or are are you an academy player? So actually, playing across age groups makes a massive difference compared to playing down or playing up. Playing up could be daunting. It could be it could be a success. It could be a win. Playing down could be, ugh, that's why am I doing that? It's a negative. It's playing across. It's a subtle difference, but it it can make a big impact. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's so. Like I said, you know, that's something that I'm still learning and still trying to practice. Really, mm, that's really interesting. Um, I want to jump onto some of the more miscellaneous questions as we yes. go to a close here if that's all right Matt of course um, so you'll have another delivery coming anyway <laughs> no, I'm sure the postman will be back at some point um, so what do you find is the biggest challenge within your role then so it's a couple of years now and you know really got to grips with it what, what's what's the biggest challenge that you face within your role hmm. good, good question um, I think it's probably just about making sure that everyone is aligned we've got some really good people uh, and a lot of clubs do have really good people. Um, but subtle changes or, or differences in how you think things should be can make a big difference. So I think it's just about making sure that we're all aligned and, and doing the same things, providing the same experience um, with the same purpose and thought uh, across all the age groups. And that's difficult because we've got a lot of age groups, a lot of staff, you know they're all really good but it's just about aligning them all so that's probably the biggest challenge you know not that not that it's difficult working with the staff the staff are great but it's just trying to align everybody to to one thing is difficult just because of the sheer numbers and size of of what we do and how we do it yeah and and flipping it then what's the what's the part of the role that you gain the most satisfaction from working with players everything for me is, is about people I think, and, and, and this is what I think this head of coaching role is about bringing people together. It's about connecting the dots. So, you know, if my answer was anything but, you know, working with people, I think I'm probably in the wrong job. But but I really enjoy working with the staff and I really, really enjoy working with the players, particularly over a long period of time when you get to see them taking things on board and them coming to you with stuff, you know, to say, oh, I tried that, it worked. And you think, brilliant. Or I tried that and it didn't work. Well, what are you going to do now then? So, so working with players and, and, and people is brilliant. It's a, it's a great job. Which then jumps me on to the next one. So what, what's the best investment that you've made in yourself as a, as a coach? I think probably learning about other things apart from football, if that makes sense. As in psychology, positive psychology. I mentioned NLP before, language, uh, how we learn, all, all that aside... I think is, has really added value to, to what, what I do. And I think that's, that's been the, the biggest learning because there's a lot of things that 
you have to listen you have to know the technical and tactical stuff that's that's important because it's the game and you need to be able to help it but but you could know all of that stuff but if you don't know the people and you can't get your message across and you don't provide clarity you know you're knocking your head against a brick wall that's it's how you get that message across which is the most important bit so for me stopping at you know oh, i know how to strike a football you know that's it's not good enough i need to be able to know how my player's reacting to why he's getting frustrated you know why is he struggling to do that why why is he behaving the way he is how can i support him how can i put that message across so for me the, the biggest the biggest investment and the most effective investment was about learning about psychology and about how people learn and how people develop so where would you point a coach what direction would you point a coach in who was interested in finding out more about that uh, I think Damien Hughes is a fantastic author. There's, there's some really good books out there that you could um, you could get. Uh, Simon Hartley is another one around clarity and around how to work with with elite teams. Um, I really enjoyed reading about NLP. I know there's there's, there's people that sort of knock it and, and don't agree, but for me, it's just about taking the bits that I I think are relevant mm-hmm. and, and positive psychology. So there's, I mean, there's a great book called The Art of Being Brilliant, um, and I just love it. It's such a positive book. It's, it just spins things on its head and it gives you some ideas on how we can, you know, make people happy. And, you know, when people are happy they, and engaged, they, they learn more. And I think that's our job really is to help them learn. And if we can make them feel all right about themselves and make them feel that they're in a place where people care about them, then I think they're going to learn a lot more. Mm. And that, well, I suppose that leads on to a, a, another question that we had come in, which would be uh, what advice would you give to your younger self when you were starting out coaching um do more do more so i mentioned before you know when i when i got made redundant from from local authority i did a lot and i went out and was really proactive i could have done that when i was at uni and i didn't um i remember having the opportunity to go on a level two that was if i do i think i only cost me 20 pounds to go and do my level two because they subsidized it I didn't do it because it was on a weekend and a couple of evenings and you just think, God, if I'd have done that then, you know, what, what other doors might have opened? You know, would that door have opened a bit earlier for me? Would I be doing different things now? So I would just say, just do more and, and be prepared to, 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 to put in the extra stuff, you know, and, and, and take, take what you need from everything that you're doing. So if you're doing a community session uh, and you've got three people that turn up, you know, you can look at it in two ways. You can you can be negative about it because I've only got three people here. What's the point in what I'm doing? Or actually, you can be positive about it because I'm getting to really understand these kids and I'm getting to deal with odd numbers. I'm getting to deal with having to, you know, inspire and educate and teach three people. So I think take what what you need from everything that you do and don't don't let something pass by without you taking something from it because there's a learning opportunity everywhere. Even if you've had a really crap day or you've gone on this course that you think was shit, you really get you can get anything from anything. And I think I think don't don't let an opportunity pass you by where you haven't taken something from that experience. It's weird that you mentioned that. We had we had Aaron Danks we were lucky enough to have Aaron Danks come in and do some work with with our team uh, just last week. And one of the things that he mentioned in his talk was the value that he got from those early experiences 
sounds very much similar to your own. It's I think it was local authority coaching work in a in a tough area of Wolverhampton. But yeah. he um what he said he, he wanted to make sure that every time he worked with those group of players, it might not have been where he wanted to be at that moment in time, but he was making damn sure that those players were going to have the best experience. Yeah. He was going to have the um, he was going to be at his best every single time that he worked with those players. And yeah. what came across was he's so humble uh, from the, from these, and I think from those those backgrounds and those early early roots yeah. in, into coaching. I think it's really important. I think that was some of the messages that I saw when you know I was I was doing some mod twos and mod threes. Is that you know you meet some great people, but you meet some people that on the first day of a course are asking you when the next course is, mm-hmm. and it's it, I think it's just devaluing what what you're doing and probably overlooking the importance of what you're doing you know and trying to rush to the next point and for me it's you know get be as good as you can be right now and then you know something else might happen you know and that that for me is 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 the important bit do do what you can as well as you can and and the next opportunity will will definitely happen i suppose that links to what i was just saying about giving everything for your your players at that moment in time rather than thinking so far ahead yeah um and, and really taking the time to invest in who you're working with and, and understanding those players that are in front of you yeah, yeah. and, and there's, i mean i remember doing a mod one and there was a a gentleman at the, at the end of the course we obviously we do some feedback and we we asked for feedback from the candidates and and he he sort of I, I, I was chatting with him on his table with a cup of tea and i said you know go on give us give us some feedback and he was nicey nicey and i said no come on give us some give us some real feedback and he went okay he said uh stop making me discuss things and just tell me what i need to do and i thought oh and i said well what, what do you mean he said listen i'm busy he said i'm busy i have a, a my own business i work really long hours I haven't got time for you to have this discussion. I just want you to tell me how I can be a better coach. And I thought, oh, that was really interesting. So we had a really good chat, but for me, it was the drive home and I was thinking, yeah, that's really important. I didn't get to know him well enough so that I could tailor the course to meet his needs, you know, because he needed something different. And that's that links back to what I said earlier on about, you know, you might have 16, a team of 16, but you've got 16 individual players. You need to make sure you know those players and make sure you meet the needs of that players in that session for whatever he needs at that moment in time. And sometimes that player might it might mean telling the player how yeah, of course it to does. solve that problem. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. You know, as long as that as long as telling isn't the first thing you go to, in my opinion, because if we want, you know, like I said before, we want decision makers and people that can learn. You know, as long as telling isn't the first thing that you that you need to that you go to. Sorry. Um, yeah, of course, it might it might mean that they need telling. Sometimes it might mean that you, they just might need leaving alone. They might have had a bad day in school or be going through a rough time and and maybe all they need is praise or nothing, just be left alone and just make sure that they're okay. You know, and then if you get to know the players, you can you get to understand them, you can you can support them in, in what they need at that moment in time. And remember, they don't need to be a professional tomorrow. So we've actually got 10 years to, to do stuff. So today they might just need... To, need to get a pat on the back and say well done i hope you're okay and you know we'll we'll pick up the technical detail tomorrow for example yeah so understanding the players and what their what their baseline behaviors are i think is really important yeah definitely yeah Yeah, you need to you need to understand that because then when something's out of the ordinary you know is it really out of the ordinary is it out of the ordinary yeah Yeah. and you know we're we're coaches have a lot of time with with kids you know, we we could be the the only positive male role model that that, that kid has. 
you know, it's, and, and this is why I said to you before, it's about people. It's much, much bigger than than them being a player. You know, it's him being a child and, and we could be the only positive role model that they have. So so we need to make sure we're really looking after the person. And the player will follow. That'll come. If we do what if we do if we follow our processes right, you know, and that'll come. But but we need to care about the kid first. Um, last question then. What what have you changed your mind about on your coaching journey? Probably quite a few things to be honest. Um I think that's quite healthy though. Well I hope it's quite healthy. Um firstly I, I go back to the command. I think I probably always thought that command was something that I shouldn't do, particularly after I've been on the courses. And I, and I think over the past probably three or four or five years, I've, I've realised that it's a really impactful tool. You just need to understand when and where to use it and why you're using it. So so that would be one. Um, similar, similar reasons, constant practice. You know, I spent a lot of time working with coaches who only have an hour a week with the kid. And I would say, don't be using constant practice because you've only got an hour with them. And I probably started to talk myself into the fact that constant practice, there was no place for it, but there is a place for it. There's definitely a place for it when we've got the under 18s in six, seven days a week. You know, there's a place for constant practice. So I think it's around it's around context and, and understanding. So it links back to you understanding why you do something and being able to justify it. And then I think the last thing and probably the most important thing is, is from my reading, um, realizing that every intent is positive. So every, everything that a person does, they're doing it with the best intentions to help themselves. And that, and that can look in a million ways. It might look really negative. It might be something that's really horrible, but, but they're doing their best at that time. And I think, what we need to understand is, it, it, or if we understand that intent is positive, firstly, we become a lot less stressed, which I've realised and I've recognised that I don't get as stressed with, with players or with coaches or with sessions because I realise that we're all trying our best. We're all trying our best. And I think once you understand that, it, it, it allows us to have clarity over how we can help them. So instead of if something they've done, instead of them doing something and annoying you and getting under your skin and, and you suddenly you become clouded with anger and frustration and that red mist comes over, if you understand that their, their intentions are positive, you should stay calm and you can remain calm, which means you can make a more informed decision on how best to, to, to respond in that situation or to support that player in that situation. So I think that's, that's probably something that I've learned maybe over the last sort of 18 months through some of the reading that I've been doing. You know, every intent is positive and I think it's, it's really helped me manage myself and then, then select the right process at that right time. I think that's a great place to... To bring our conversation to a to a close, Matt, and um, uh, you know I can't thank you enough for giving up your time today. No, absolute it's, pleasure. It's been it's been great to see you again and, and yeah, catch up. I think if there's one thing that has um, uh, reminded me of, of or one quality a trait that um, really hits home about about you as a person, it's your your passion and, and integrity and wanting to do the right thing, and that was something that. You know, I remember when when we used to work in the same team together that really shone through, and I would say probably even more so now. So, um, no, thanks for giving up your time, Matt. Really appreciate it. If judging by the amount of questions that we had before this, I can imagine there'll be probably tenfold that have come out uh, after after coaches listen to this. If they want to 
um, ask you a little bit more or go into some more depth can they connect with you can yeah I mean I'm on, I'm on Twitter and I'm sure you can you can pop that up on the on the sort of podcast information um, feel free to, to sort of message me on there um, I, I'll, I'll get back to you I'll, I'll always reply and I'll always respond and if it's something you know specific or or personal feel free to sort of message me on there or ask me for my email and I'll reply to you with my email so you can contact me there and you know I, I, I think one thing that I learned when I was sort of younger and I, I sent a, I remember sending out a letter back then because it wasn't emails um, I sent a letter to, to as many clubs as I possibly could and I remember getting a response from one and that one response I think made 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 me feel a, a million pounds really because of all the negatives I'd had uh, or not had so I think one thing that I've I've made certain is that I, I will respond to everybody and, and you know try and help obviously we get a lot of requests to come in and look at the academy and stuff and if we can if we can do it we will if we can't I'll, I'll try and signpost you to something else but mm-hmm. but feel free to get in touch and like I said if if I can help I'll, I'll, I'll gladly do so fantastic and is there anything that I haven't asked you that was in your copious notes that we haven't discussed no I just know how prepped you are so I wanted to make sure I could combat some of the questions that came my way no it's it's, it's been a pleasure great mate. well hopefully the, uh, the guys listening have been able to follow the, um, the random path that we've gone down over the last couple of hours and thanks again really enjoyed it Matt you're welcome thanks Cheers. mate thanks for listening if you enjoyed the show please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode you can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1 and don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA see you next time Basically, it's about giving them some sort of trauma, in inverted commas, failure. Um... <laughs> Hello? My doorbell. Wait there. I'll be back in a minute. I think, oh. I think you should leave this in. Oh, I'm going to, definitely. Because it'll weed out, it'll weed out the, uh, um... the real listeners. There you go. You think you can prepare for every eventuality, just like in a coaching session, and then the postman rings the doorbell. <laughs>